Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning and we come with our hearts filled with thanks. In view, yes, of this week and of Thanksgiving and certainly in view of all the songs that we've just sung, in view of the gospel, in view of your grace, in view of the greatness of you, O God. And so we come in view of your greatness, in view of you and your word and the truth that we live by and we live. May we live according to the truth. And I even, as we meet this morning, as we, in your providence, that we don't have much heat in the sanctuary today. It makes me think of believers throughout the world who are meeting, even as we worship as we are now, they are meeting without heat. And they're meeting in secret, or they're meeting in danger, or they're meeting in all variety of places, just that they may hear the word, and they may worship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so... We come, and I come with soberness in that light today, even as I'm, as I was seeing and think of them and think of the little trial, if you could put it that way, that we're experiencing, even if it could be put that way. And so we pray, Lord, we would have a deep hunger for your word this morning, a deep hunger for you this morning, a deep, deep hunger for more of you in our lives. And so we ask that you would work in our lives here and now, and that you would work in all of the faithful churches throughout this area. That you would help the gospel to progress and your name to be exalted this Lord's Day. And so we ask that you would work, you would speak through the men who are preaching your word, that you would speak through, of course, and certainly the word that they are preaching, that you would change us, that you would speak through me, speak through your word through me, to all here. And we pray, Father, for our nation as it is sinning grievously. And the depth of lostness is great. We pray that you would help our nation repent in dust and ashes. It would turn from itself and making itself God in its own eyes. And to you, the only God, and to the living God. And so we ask that, Lord. We pray for that. We plead for that. We pray for our own hearts that you would help our hearts be soft this morning and not hard. How quickly our hearts can be hard. And so may we not harden our hearts this morning. Whether in cold or heat or wherever we are. And so may you help your word be heard. And may your spirit speak and illuminate your word for us as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of James. 
and we'll be continuing our study walking through this letter with James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. So James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Now our day, it is a day of reversals. People are saying evil is good and good is evil. It's like what the prophets or the prophet Isaiah, he declared in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, when he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now make no mistake, that is a woe. To make good evil and evil good. It is not good. Well, in a day of reversals, even as we've seen this week, and maybe you've heard the news with a ignobly named Respect for Marriage Act, of course, with all of that, not just out there, but among or within many churches, emotions are high. And it does not take much for those emotions to just spill out into a torrent of ungodly words. And so as Christians, we're not to follow that current, that current of ungodliness and of worldliness that we see around us and everywhere with the internet, with social media, or wherever it is in your workplaces, we are not to follow that current. In our churches, we are not to follow that current. We're not to allow a category in our hearts and in our minds that arises in times like these when emotions are high and to tell ourselves, well, I am finally allowed to throw off all of the commandments of Christ I am allowed uniquely to throw off all the fruit of the Spirit and just to tell you fully and completely in all of its array of ungodliness what I think. We're not allowed that as Christians. There's not a time when it's okay to do that. No matter who you are, no matter what you are doing, as a believer in Jesus Christ, We're not just to let our words rush out and destroy those around us. The world will be the world, and you can expect that. You can bank on that. We've seen that throughout history. It's not going to change until God brings about his kingdom in all of its fullness. But what we are to be is we are to be the church of a living God everywhere we are. We're not to be like the world, but we are to be like Christ. And so while many have and many may well speak evil of us in our day and days to come, and certainly are doing that throughout the world of believers everywhere, the tone of our words and the undercurrent and the stream of our words, they are to be one of Christ-like faith-wrought, spirit-empowered 
love. So speaking the truth, yes. Not saying not do that. But we are to do that in a certain way, aren't we? Speaking the truth in love, that even when we speak the truth, we can speak the truth in love. That means we can reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can reflect Christ as we speak the truth. And that is what we're to do. Which leads us to a question. How are we to speak in such a time as this? And not just of the world and what it's doing, but how are we to speak of one another? Well, James, he gives us help this morning, directing us away from worldly words to, if it's a word, Christly words. And so let's read this. And see this here then, beginning with verse 11 of James chapter 4. May God bless the reading of his good word. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if... You judge the law. You are not a doer of a law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, thus far in the letter of James, we have covered a wide array of practical exhortations. And I know for me at least, they have been immensely helpful and convicting on many levels. And so James, he has covered all variety of these. So trials, and he's covered prayer and money and wealth and temptation and sin and anger and obedience and partiality and faith, and works, and more. Now, among all of those, one that I did not mention that keeps coming up, and you likely have guessed it already this morning, and one that we just read in our verses, and we'll be seeing more of here now, is which one? Our words. (laughs) One that he comes to again and again. And so maybe at this point, you're saying to yourself, well, thank you very much, James. (laughs) That's very kind of you to continually come to our words and address those. I appreciate that. You've covered words very carefully and very thoroughly. And I sure have learned a lot as you have done that. Now I think it's about time you move on. (laughs) You know, James, why don't we... Move on to the next subject. Well, I think taking in James's words here, his simple reply to you would be, be simply, Oh no, <laughs> I still have more to say. And by the grace of God, may you hear it. And so it is then that we have our first point here in our passage 
or the first point here today. Examine your words again. Examine your words again. Now at this point, even as I hinted at just a second ago, I might have an idea of what you're feeling at this point. Do we really need to talk about words again, even though James does? Now, Pastor, couldn't you just kind of skip this over? I mean, we've heard words, and we've heard about our words again. So why, do, why can't we just skip this? Well, there are many ways I can answer that, but when you see things like this in the epistles of Paul or in the general epistles, you might think of them like little signals for you, like little dings that you might have, maybe even, as you know, dings, dings on your phone that pop up trying to get what? Your attention, <laughs> Right? And so the more that you see these kind of things in Scripture, the more that you hear them, it's all the more important at that moment that you not say, well, I have read that already, thank you very much. I will just move right on. Rather than saying that, it's all the more important that you listen at that point, that you intensify your listening that you get on the edge of your seat and you take greater notice to what is being said and seen in God's word. And so it's more. It means it's important. So rather than thinking of James or me, well, you move on already. (laughs) Rather than thinking that, Could it be that God is aiming to get your attention? Could it be that he wants you to look and examine your words very, very carefully? Especially, I would say, in our day, where our words are abundant and many, And they do spill out, oftentimes, like a fire hydrant without restraint. So I think that is the way we need to approach these words this morning. Perhaps God is aiming to get your attention, friends. Now, even in saying all of that, We see James is saying something different here, though, than he has said before. So he is revisiting, but he's not repeating. He's revisiting, but not repeating. So here we come to something like a traffic light. Yet this traffic light really has only one color, and it's not green or yellow that we are seeing in this opening part of this passage, the color that we are seeing right at the get-go is the color red. (laughs) Stop. And stop what? 
is the question. And so we come here to this command, and this is a command, don't do it. (laughs) That is what we're seeing here. Now, as you hear that, you might be doing what we all kind of do when you hear someone say, don't do it. You might be kind of raising up your fist saying, well, maybe I will. You know, I'll do it anyway. That kind of rebellious heart that we all have that says, you don't tell me to do anything. Or more importantly, you don't tell me not to do anything. Well, friends, just see that for what it is. That is a rebellious heart. And that's not good. It's, it's there not because it's something that's good in you. It's there because of sin in you. But what I can tell you is good is this commandment. This command is good and it is given for our good. And we need to think of God's commands like that and along these lines. We need not think of that when it comes to us, (laughs) when it comes to our commands. I might have all variety of things going on behind something I say. But this is what God says. And his intent behind his do nots are good and for your good. And so they're not just commands for command's sake. They're good. Now, when you tell your children, hey, don't run in the road, I doubt that your intent is evil. (laughs) You know, like I'm going to gain from this. Your intent is you love your children and you want to make sure that nothing happens to your children. Don't go running in the road because there's all kinds of things that will be coming down that road that will destroy you, hurt you, do damage to you. And so that command, it is for their good. Well, it is the same here for us. Now, he gives a further explanation in the coming verses of this command. But for now, let the command stand. As is, let it be as it is. Don't withdraw its force. Don't put caveats and qualifications. Just take it. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, James, he uses one word here following the negation. So negation as in not, do not. It's a negation, negating something. So after he does that, he uses one word. And so speak evil against is one word in the Greek, not three words that we see here. Just one word, and it's an imperative. It is a command. It's talking to you, and it's double-pronged. It has kind of two sides to it. And so the first side of it, it means, and it's calling us to no more evil speech. No more evil speech. And so this is talking about Speaking evil of someone. This isn't just kind of your bare words, though. This is more than that. There's an evil intent behind your words. You know, some, they might use weapons 
to hurt people or even to take their lives. Well, these words, they are aimed in the same direction, except they're not physical weapons. What's going on here is you are weaponizing your words to do harm and to destroy other people. And so it is evil speech. So that's one, no more evil speech. Second or two, it means no more slanderous speech. No more slanderous speech. So this is up the same alley as evil speech. So this is speaking words that damage someone's reputation. And they might be true, but your intent again is I will tell someone something true about this person so that I can destroy them. Or it could be half-truths, like the devil in Genesis chapter 3. Or it could just be all-out lies. Evil intent is at the root on, of these, on both of these. So in doing this, in doing what James is saying we're not to do, you're not aligning yourself with God. But what you're and who you're aligning yourself with is you are aligning yourself with the devil. And we need to see that and we need to see it clearly this morning. Because how common is this kind of speech among us, among the church, against your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, against your leaders, against your pastors? My aim is to speak to destroy them. And we see it happen again and again and again. So if you think that this is not for you, well, it may be more for you than anyone else. And in fact, it is for you more than anyone else. Because this is written to you and for us. So in speaking this way, you align yourself with the devil. As John 8.44, it says, when he, the devil, lies... He speaks out of his own character. Think about that. As you go aiming to destroy someone, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, as you hear that, also listen to these words from Proverbs 6. This tells you what God thinks of this. Proverbs 6.16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to shed or to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, what does God think about those? 
He hates them. They are an abomination to God. You don't have to wonder what God thinks about that brother or sister who's destroying another brother and sister. God hates that. He sees that as an abomination in his sight. Now, returning here to the context of James, this kind of speech, it arises not from godliness, but it arises from worldliness. Well, where do we get that? Well, this is exactly how we got here in these verses. This is what James was talking about in the previous verses in verses 1 through 10. These kind of words, they have a worldly impulse to them. You know, before I was a Christian, and it's not something I'm proud of, and some of you know this, but I wasn't particularly known for having clean speech. My speech was filled with all sorts of profanity pretty much all the time, except around my parents. <laughs> so at my job there in Oklahoma, around 2001, 2002, everyone, if you'd asked them at that time, knowing, of course, I was not a believer, they would say, if you asked them, Andrew curses more than anyone else here. So if you go and talk to him, what you can expect is a lot of profanity. Every other word, even. Now, that's not good. And I praise the Lord for his grace. I don't do that anymore. So if you're wondering if I'm at home doing this, I'm not. <laughs> or anywhere else. Now, you might think that that's pretty bad that you did that and you were going around doing that, well, friends, if you speak like this, like James is saying here, if you speak evil against brothers and sisters in Christ, are you not doing the same thing? Is it not just as ugly? And actually, you know, it's not the same thing. It's worse. It's worse than how I was speaking as an unbeliever. It's weaponizing your words to kill, to destroy, and to undo people. And not just anybody. To undo those people sitting next to you right now. God says that's an abomination. And so as we see this, we need to practically examine how we and how you speak about others. And it's not that you kind of would say, I'm going to stop doing it this much. You know, I, I'm just only going to have a little evil speaking of others in my life. You know, uh, it's, it's that you would be done with it completely. No more. No allowance for it whatsoever. Not of your family not of your spouse, not of your children, not of fellow church members, not of coworkers, not on social media, not behind closed doors, 
not in whispers, not in shouts. You are to put them away completely. Be done with it. That's what you're to do. And if you you find that you have those words, because you may well have them, what you're to do is you are to look them directly in the face and you are to look directly at the gospel as well and see that Christ has died for those also. And you are to remember the words that James said just a moment ago in verse 8. This is what you are to do. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That is what you need to do this morning. You cleanse your hands. You put it away. You deal with that heart. Whatever, whatever reasons you have that you're speaking evil against someone else, you need to deal with that in your heart this morning. And you need to do away with all this evil speaking. And so practically examine how you speak about others. Now from here, from verse 11a, from there on, so 11b through 12, James now goes to explain this command of verse 11a. So here he speaks on judging and on the judge. On judging and on the judge. Now it's at this point that a common question arises. It's a question that we've all heard. Maybe we've even said it. And whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, you've heard this. And you maybe even ask this question yourself. And the question is this. Who are you to judge? Now you know you've heard it. (laughs) Because you have. But we haven't just heard it out there. And we're not just hearing it in general. We actually hear it from James. And he actually asks this specific question here in verse 12. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now as we come to that question, there are two ways to understand this. First, there's the way that's meant here. The way it's meant here. So this, as we're looking at James specifically, this is a sort of judging that has hate behind it. It's as James says, it's speaking against a brother. It's judging that hates your brother or sister. And by doing that, you're not just judging them, but you're also standing over them. You're standing over the law. And you're judging the law as well. Now as you read this, as James speaks of this in verses 11b through 12. He has the Old Testament partly in mind here. Now what passage might he have in mind? Well, the one that Francie read a moment ago. Leviticus 19, 15 through 18. 
And if you remember there, it said, you're not to go around slandering. You're not to go around hating your brother from the heart. You're not to do that. But what are you to do? You are to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we hear that plainly and clearly there, yet this also has Christ in view as well. This is the law as seen through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In view of the gospel that calls you to go and love others as you love yourself. That calls you to love others as Christ has loved you and died for you and given his life for you. That's how you're to love one another. And so we see how wrong this is then, how doubly wrong this is. It goes against the very fabric of the grace of God. Of the call for brothers and sisters in Christ to be different from the world. Not the same. Not shaped by the world in the way it speaks about things. But to be shaped and transformed by Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit of God who is in you. So by doing this and judging in this way, condemning in this way, you are saying that you know better than the law does. You are saying that you know better than God does. And is that serious? friends. Yes. That's what's meant here. That's what James means and what he's getting at with his question. But second, there's also what the world means by it. What the world means by it. So the it here being judging or the question we just asked, who are you to judge. Now, when we talk about this, we are not talking about apples to apples here. We're not saying, well, here's James, here's the world, put them together. That's not the same. They're in two different worlds, and we need to see that. They're not talking about the same thing. The world means something different than what James means here, than what he is talking about here. Now, sometimes the world, what they mean by that question, who are you to judge, has a twinge of rightness in the way of critiquing us. They mean it in the way of berating. They're tired of being berated by angry Christians. There are times when a Christian's demeanor is unchristlike, like a believer who says, I will just tell you like it is. I'll throw off the commands of Jesus Christ. I'll throw aside the fruit of the Spirit of the living God. And I will just let you have it. And so there's a rightness in the question on one side of this. And what the world's saying. Because they are confronting those believers who are not acting like believers. And that's not to be the way about us. And so we need to hear that side of the critique this morning. 
However, that's not the most common way they, the most common meaning they have when they ask that question, who are you to judge? Often that question is guised with kind of a veneer of tolerance. So things like, you're not being loving by telling me X. You're not being loving by telling me the gospel. You're not being loving by telling me I am a sinner. You're not being loving by telling me that there's only one form of marriage, and that is between a man and a woman. You are being intolerant. They guise it with that. That's the guise. An veneer of intolerance. You're being intolerant. Yet we need to see why they're ultimately asking this. What they're warring against in themselves, with you, is this. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me anything I'm doing is wrong. Don't tell me I'm a sinner and that there is an objective standard by which I will be judged by God. Who are you to judge? That's what they're saying. And so often, it's right at this point that you will hear a particular passage and you might already have it in mind. Matthew chapter 7. (laughs) Right at that moment, it's brought into the fray. And this is what they say, judge not that you not be judged. Now, they usually stop there. But I'm not going to stop there, and we'll read what the rest of what Jesus says. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now we need to see that this passage is not saying what the world is saying it says. (laughs) Say, it's not saying, don't tell me I'm wrong, don't tell me I'm a sinner, and so on. This passage is not saying, don't discern and don't deal with sin. It's not saying that. It's saying, Don't judge unfairly. Don't go around correcting others while you're walking in sin yourself. Get the speck out of your own eye. And after you've done that, then you go and still go to your brother and help them with what they're struggling with also. So you go your brother and tell them honestly about their sin. Not because it's your opinion. And we need to get that clear too. We're not going around just saying, well, I think this is wrong. And so I'm going to go tell my brother this. This is, this is what I think. That's not why. We do it and we are to do it based on God and his word and the gospel. Not our authority. Not my opinion of how you should live. My family does it this way. Your family doesn't. I better go get 
tell you that you're sinning. But you're, that's, that's not what we're to do. We base it on God and His Word and the Gospel. We come under the Word, bringing the Word to our brother or sister who needs to hear the Word. And so let's be clear on this. Christians are to discern. They are to go and to correct. They are to go and tell people the gospel and all of that under God's word and under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when Christians do this, getting the speck out of their eye and all, what they are doing is they are speaking the truth, put in that blank, God's word, the gospel, what he says. We're speaking the truth in love, in view of the gospel. That's our demeanor. That's our heart. That's why we go. That's why every time you go and talk to someone about their sin, you always do Matthew chapter 7 first. You get the speck out of your own eye. Well, have I done anything to add to this? Have I sinned? Have I said something? Have I done something to make this conflict worse? And then you deal with your own sin. And then you go to your brother or sister in the Lord and talk with them about these things. And that is not judging. Yet, when we do what James says here, in the way that he means it, we're condemning others not based on God, but based on ourselves. And that is judging. And so this brings us to James's point. God is the judge. Verse 12. This is why we can stand on God's word and the gospel and not be moved by culture that is saying evil is good and good is evil. And it's also why someone who stands over God's word in the gospel and judges it is in trouble. It's why our nation is in very serious trouble with God. He is not unaware. He knows exactly what our world, what the United States is doing. And every day that judgment not come upon our nation is mercy. That's what we're doing right now. Because we're living within that mercy. When he may bring judgment, I don't know, and neither do you. <laughs> but we're to go and tell people of Christ and what he has done. So why, why is our nation in trouble and all these things? Because God's judgments are always right. His judgments are always right, even in judgment. He has the ultimate and final right to save and to destroy. His law is law, regardless of the winds of our day. His word is true 
for everyone. No matter how many times they may come at you, no matter how angles they may come, no matter how many times they may take the word and twist it and turn it and pull it and rip it. It is true for everyone. When he says it's wrong, it's wrong. When he says it's sin, it's sin. When he judges, he is always right. Always and forever. You see, only God is God. Only God is God. Not you. Not me. Yet see here that this is what this evil speaking kind of judging is doing. It's what worldly judging is doing also. It's standing over God's word, standing over his law. It's based on us, based on our standards, based on our opinions, defining everything by us and not God, not his word, and not the gospel. Yet, this is the truth. There is only one lawgiver and judge. Verse 12. Now, this makes me think of a song that, well, it's old now, I guess, but makes me think of the chorus of a Christian song from the early 2000s, right around the time when I came to faith in Christ by Stephen Curtis Chapman when he sung this chorus when he said, God is God and I am not. He wasn't talking about all this, my trials and so on, but oh, that we would get that chorus in our brains. (laughs) God is God and I am not. Whether you're here and you know Christ Or you're here and you don't know him this morning. Know this and say it unequivocally. You are not God. You have absolutely no right to stand in his If you're a believer speaking evil against your brothers and sisters in Christ... You have no right. If you are the world trying to stand in the place of God, you have no right. And so we need to ask ourselves a question. Have you been standing over others in judgment? Have you been standing over others in judgment. As we hear these words, we need to hear these words. May it be that you hear God's word here, you hear his command, and do as James said just a minute ago in the previous verses, that you would humble yourself before him this morning, and you would say, I will no longer do it. Not in my power but in the power of the grace of God, but in the power of the Spirit of God, 
because of Christ who died and was buried and rose again on my behalf. I stand based in Christ, confident in the gospel, unashamed of what he has done. And I believe him and I look to him and him alone and by his grace and his spirit, I will no longer do this. May that be. Have no place for this in your home, in your life, or in this church. And when you see it, know and see it for what it is. It is not from God. It is not the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of the world. And the Spirit of the devil. There's no place for hating brothers and sisters in Christ with your words. And if you don't know Christ this morning, you need to hear it this clearly. There is no room on the throne of God for you. You aren't to stand above God, but you are called to bow before God. And not just if you don't know Christ this morning, every single one of us We are to bow ourselves before God and saying, here I am, Lord. My life is yours. Your will be done, not mine. And if you don't know him, you need to look to him who did not come to destroy you, but he came to save you. Turn away from sin and self, and you need to believe in Christ to turn to Him who will save you this very morning. That God, in grace upon grace, demonstrates His love in sending His Son to be beaten, to suffer, and to die on the cross, be buried, and risen again. And He lives even now that you may turn to Him. And find life forever. Forgiveness forever. No condemnation evermore. In Christ and Him alone. And so rather than hating, and rather than standing in God's place, may it not be. May our words not be filled with hate, but filled with Christ-like, God-exalting, truth-upholding love. May we speak the truth. May we speak the truth in love. May we say, even as we'll sing in just a second, with our whole hearts, take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Let's pray. Father, we pray that now. Take my lips. They're yours. Or if there's those who don't know Christ this morning, may they say, take my life. It's yours. In Jesus' name, amen.